Welcome to the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program, 2SER 107.3 on the FM dial. Lawrence Dowsett is on the panel putting the program together, and this is Brian Bell on the microphone. Today, since this is the festival time celebrating the Guru, we're going to be talking about two aspects of the Great Teacher. The ten incarnations of the Guru Principle, who have given us so much knowledge about the Spirit, and the art of becoming one's own guru. Let's talk about Sahaja Yoga and self-realization. The realization of the self is the joining of the spirit within each one of us with the great energy of creation around us. And with this event comes a wonderful sense of freedom and peace and well-being, plus the ongoing joy of deep and rewarding meditation. To gain self-realization in the past has not been easy, requiring penances and dedication and a great deal of time. But today, through the work and the love of Srimataji Nirmala Devi, the founder of Sahaja Yoga, it's very simple and a very relaxing process. It takes about 10 minutes. If you desire to have this connection with divinity, Slip off your shoes to be nearer to Mother Earth. Sit comfortably on a chair or on the floor. Place the hands palm upward on the lap and listen to Srimataji. If you already already have your realization, follow the process again. It helps to deepen meditation and allows the memories of yesterday and the concerns of tomorrow, indeed the world of all and all its worries, to drop away, leaving us in the rich state that Trimatiji calls the ever-present now. Here is Trimatiji offering self-realization. Not very tightly. Till I tell you, please don't open your eyes. Please put your right hand on your heart. Here, you have to ask me a very fundamental question about yourself. Three questions, three times. Three times you have to ask. You can call me mother, or you can call me Shri Mataji, whatever you like. So ask a question, Mother, am I the Spirit? Please ask this question in your heart three times. Mother, am I the Spirit?
you are the spirit, then you are your master. So now please take your right hand on top of your center which is placed in the upper portion of your abdomen, on the left hand side. Now press it there and ask another fundamental question, Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. I've already told you that I respect your freedom and I cannot force pure Divine knowledge on you. You have to ask for it. So take your right hand in the low portion of your abdomen on the left hand side and here you have to ask six times because this center has got six petals. <coughs> Mother, please give me pure Divine knowledge. Ask six times, Mother, please give me pure Divine knowledge. As soon as you ask this question, the Kundalini starts rising. So now we have to nourish the higher centers with our self-confidence. Raise your right hand in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left hand side. Here you have to say with full self-confidence ten times, Mother, I am my own master. Please say this ten times with full confidence. told you at the very outset that you are not this body, this mind, these emotions, this intelligence, this ego and conditionings, but you are the pure spirit. So now raise your right hand on the left hand side on your heart and here you have to say with full confidence again twelve times, Mother, I am the pure spirit. Mother, I am the pure spirit. Please say this twelve times. <coughs> I've told you that this all-pervading power is the ocean of knowledge, ocean of compassion, ocean of bliss. But above all, it is the ocean of forgiveness and whatever mistakes you have committed, 
can be easily dissolved by it. So please forgive yourself and put your right hand in the corner of your neck and your shoulder and turn your head to your right. Here you have to say again with full confidence sixteen times, Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say this. Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say it sixteen times. I've already explained that whether you forgive or you don't forgive, you don't do anything. <coughs> but if you don't forgive, then you play into wrong hands. And at this moment especially, you should forgive so that this Agya Chakra, which is a very constricted center, will open out. So, here, now you put your right hand on top of your forehead and put it down. Put it down, put down your head, please. Here you have to say, <coughs> not how many times, but from your heart you have to say, Mother, I forgive everyone. And don't think about the people whom you have to forgive. Just say, Mother, I forgive everyone in general. Don't think about them. I find this is the most constricted center here. Please, please forgive, otherwise you'll miss the point. From your heart, just say, Now please take your right hand on the back side of your head and push back your head. This is the center where you have to ask forgiveness from the Divine Power, without feeling guilty, without counting your mistakes, just for your satisfaction. So here you say again from the heart, not how many times, O oh, Divine Power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. O oh, Divine Power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. Say it from your heart, not how many times is not the point. Now. Stretch your palm fully and put it, the center of your palm, on the fontanelle bone area, which was a soft bone in your childhood. Now press back your fingers as far as possible. And with the pressure, move your scalp. But before doing that, please put down your head. Now here, <coughs> again, I cannot force self-realization on you. You have to ask for it. So move your hand so that you move the scalp well with a pressure, saying seven times, Mother, please give me Self-realization. 
move it clockwise slowly push back your fingers push back your fingers. now take down your hands and slowly open your eyes please now put both the hands towards me like this like that. now please put down your head and see for yourself bitter with the left hand first see with the left hand if there's a cool or a hot breeze coming out of your fontanelle bonaire it may be very close to your head but it should be should be above not on top your hand should be above please bend your head or some people get it very far also whichever way you move your hand and see for yourself now please please put the left hand towards me you have to bend your head otherwise it doesn't show well please put the left hand towards me and put down your head and see if there's a cool or a hot breeze like sensation or energy coming out of your head just see yourself Do you feel a sense of peace, relaxation? It's a joy, isn't it? Shumachi encourages us to meditate twice a day, 10 minutes or so in the morning and 10 minutes again before going to bed. Over time, this regular meditation brings us to a relaxed detachment, to health and the resolution of problems and worries. Now, <clears throat> the great gurus at the essence of gurudam is the adi guru datatriya the archetype the divine being who has incarnated on the earth 10 times to help us understand the nature of the spirit the greatness of god and the way that human beings can evolve past the day to day through a purer knowledge of creation into a deeper understanding of what our life is about and what lies beyond it those 10 guru incarnations 
Agur, uh, Raja Janaka, Abraham, Moses, Zarathustra, Latse, Confucius, Socrates, Muhammad, Guru Nanak, and Sainat. All of them gave form to God's love for mankind. They con continually corrected our mistakes and they brought us back to a God-centered life. Let's take a look at the first three of these great incarnations. Raja Janaka, Abraham, and Moses. They make a fascinating trio. Raja Janaka, in spite of his responsibilities and power, was basically only interested in the nature of divinity and his relationship with that divine love and power. Then came Abraham, who fined that divinity down to one god, was hugely influential in the three great patriarchal religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and was a great believer in the value of collective dedication. And later came Moses, who, when he found dissension and fragmentation among his followers, laid down rules for the chosen so that they could stay close to God. First, Janaka. He was a king, a great king. There is a story about a young sage called Narada. Reverend sir, the young man asked him, you live in this world and, and yet you are called Vidaha, one who lives beyond it. How is that? And King Janaka said, I will tell you all about it in the evening, but until then, please do this little task for me. Please come along with me and carry this bowl of milk. And please see that not a drop of this milk is spilt on the earth. Then I will tell you why I am called Vidaha. Narada took the bowl and followed Janaka everywhere. He had to be very careful because the bowl was such that the slightest shake would cause a spill. When they retired for the evening, Narada said, Please tell me now, I am getting fed up with carrying this bowl and, and following you around everywhere at the same time. Rajajanaka said, First of all, tell me what you have seen. Nothing, except this bowl, so it won't spill. Didn't you see the big procession in my honour? And the program of dancing at the court? Didn't you see anything? No, sir, I did not see anything. And Rajajanaka said, my child, likewise with me, I also see nothing. All the time I just watch that my attention is upon the great gods, making sure that it doesn't spill away like that milk. Janaka was the ideal ruler, caring for his subjects, living a pure life, dedicated to love and longing to be one with divinity. The prophet Abraham was brought up in a small town of Ur of the Chaldees. There, along with everybody else, he worshipped the many gods who were believed to control various aspects of nature. But then Abraham encountered the one God who seemed to have control over not only the whole of nature, but history as well. This was the beginning of the Jewish religion. Jews today still speak of the patriarch with great fondness as our father Abraham. He had two sons, 
Ishmael, and Isaac. Ishmael traveled to the Arabs, who traced their ancestry to him. And Isaac became a key figure in Judaism. So both Islam and Judaism share Abraham as a tribal founding father, as do Christians who, through the Old Testament of the Bible, see Abraham as a key spiritual precursor of Christ. Abraham was extremely humble and lived a life of peace, in harmony with God and Mother Earth. He also had a deep feeling for his fellow man. He would rush out from his tent and greet the travelers on the dusty roads, beseeching them to enter his tent and have just a little bread. The invitation was never given as a favor on his part, but rather as a privilege received by Abraham from the wayfarer. The prophet would receive his guests as gems dropped from heaven. The prophet Moses, a few generations later, was also a man of the one God. He became the leader of the Jews who had been enslaved by the Egyptians. He had power over the water element, as did all the Guru incarnations, and so he was able to part the Red Sea, allowing his people to return to their homeland. The journey, however, was not an easy one, and many of his followers lost their dedication to the one God and started worshipping idols. Through contemplation and communion with God, he engraved on rock the ten basic disciplines ten virtues, dharmas, for all mankind. These are the ten commandments of God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything belonging to your neighbor. So, we have King Janaka who put his full attention on the divine. Abraham in turn defining the one God and sharing his dedication and love with everybody who came his way and Moses, who added discipline to that worship and love. Here is some joyous music by Johann Sebastian Bach, sharing his total confidence in God. It's based on the chorale, Our God is a Sure Stronghold.
The next incarnation of the Adi Guru principle was Sri Zarathustri. He was born in Iran long before the birth of Christ. An Indo-European or Aryan, he shared a heritage with all the tribes across Europe, the Middle East and Asia and India. He wrote in a language very similar to Sanskrit, which is in turn very closely related to Greek and Latin. Again, he believed in the one God, and he taught concepts such as heaven and hell, God and the devil, the end of time purge of the world by fire, the continual refreshing of the world by God, and the final defeat of evil. He also believed that all the races of the world were created by God and are equal. The Aryans were really multicultural and racially tolerant, an untypical attitude at the time. In his early days, he was hounded by the believers in the older, more superstitious beliefs, but eventually he gained the trust of a king, Vishtaspa, and his new teachings became part of the culture. Zarathustra also taught that God was in the elements, earth, air, fire, ether and, f and water. Fire was especially important as it cleanses, it is the source of all creation, and it transmutes the physical, the matter, into the spiritual. The followers of Zarathustra lived on in Iran, each household having its sacred fire that was never extinguished until the Arabs arrived and took over the whole of the Middle East. Then the Zarathustrians fled to India, where they still exist to this day. They are the Parsis. The next two incarnations of the Adiguru were Chinese and contemporaries. Latze, as an old man, met the young Confucius. They do not have much to say to each other, which is not surprising since their roles were quite different. But their teachings, taken together, make a wonderful balance. Latze believed God was part of nature and that it was mankind's role to join with that flow of nature, be part of creation in all its unfathomable wonder, part of the mystery. He was saddened by his people's disinclination to become part of this mystery and he climbed on the water buffalo and rode westward towards Tibet. A gatekeeper at one of the passes, sensing the special quality of the man, asked him to record his beliefs before he went into isolation. So, over a few days, Latse wrote the Tao teaching, a text treasured to this day. What is this Tao? It is the way to ultimate reality, he said. The ultimate mystery from which all things spread. How clear it is, he says, how quiet it is. It must be something eternally existing. Then again, Tao, he says, is transcendent and imminent. It is the aim, the ultimate, Yet it is the way of the universe, the rhythm and the driving force of all nature, the ordering principle behind all life. And again, Tao is spirit rather than matter. The more it is drawn upon, the more it flows. 
graceful, benign, generous. It gives life to all things, he says, and may be called the mother of the world. There is a being, he says, wonderful, perfect. It existed before heaven and earth. How quiet it is, how spiritual it is. It stands alone and does not change. All life comes from it. It wraps everything with its love as in a garment. I do not know its name, and so I shall call it Tao, the way, and I rejoice in it. The highest achievement for a human is to identify with the Tao and allow its magic to flow through his whole being. Confucius, on the other hand, was concerned not with the mystery of life, but its organization. He craved order. One must learn who one is responsible to and who one is responsible for. One must define one's place in society and keeps to its appropriate rules. Good government, he says, is made possible by degrees of power. And at the essence is the self-mastery and the will to do only that which you would wish others to do to you. It's fascinating that at the same time, these two great guru incarnations lived and taught. Between them, they defined the good and valuable life. One pointing out the importance of adopting fully one's appropriate place in society, and the other encouraging everyone to become part of the mystery of creation. Socrates, living over 400 years before Christ, was a well-known figure in the Greek city of Athens. A friend of his went to the oracle at Delphi and asked if there was any man wiser than Socrates. And the answer came back, no, there is not. This worried Socrates, who didn't see himself as a particularly wise man, so he set out to disprove it. He stood on the roadside and in the markets interrogating all sorts of people who had a reputation for wisdom, but he always ended up disappointment. No one seemed to be able to stand up to his questioning. 
So finally, he decided that his wisdom lay in the fact that he alone was aware of how little he knew. Socrates believed that one must do what one believed right, even in the face of universal opposition. And one must pursue knowledge even when opposed. He said, if one knows the good, one will always do the good. And it follows that anyone who does wrong doesn't really know what the good is. There's a story that he says he is quoting, but it's hard to believe he would quote it without believing it deeply himself. He said that every man should become a wise man, and that wise man's role was to stretch one hand towards heaven and the other towards his fellow beings. With one hand, he draws wisdom from heaven and passes it on to humanity, and at the same time, he draws what is good from mankind and offers it humbly to the gods. The prophet Muhammad was born a thousand years after Socrates. From the deserts of Arabia, he fashioned a new world, a new life, a new culture, a new civilization, a new kingdom of God that stretched from Morocco to India and influenced the thought and the day-to-day -day life of three continents, Asia, Africa and Europe. His early life was protected by a number of divine figures, so he grew up to be an imposing, intelligent, spiritual, active and charismatic figure. His first public work was to destroy the idols that were venerated and ritually worshipped throughout the East. There is only one God and he, Allah, is great. The Quran the book which records God's statements to Muhammad begins, Praise be to the God, the cherisher and sustainer of the worlds, most gracious, most merciful, master of the day of judgment. Thee do we worship and thine aid we seek. Show us the straight way, the way of those on whom thou hast bestowed thy grace. Muhammad taught of love for the poor, respect for women, universal brotherhood, kindness to animals, and honor among all men of faith. Sadly, his teachings were and are not followed too closely by those who claim to believe in him as the prophet of Allah. Muhammad also said, the beginning of prayer is silence, thoughtlessness, and when your belief is pure, then a little meditation is enough for you.
The most recent incarnations of the Ari Guru principle both lived in India, Guru Nanak and Sainat. Guru Nanak was a contemporary of Martin Luther, and each, Luther in Europe and Guru Nanak in India, attempted to eradicate the superstition and corruption that existed in the religions of their time. Ritualism and individualism, fear and reclusiveness, they both opposed. At the age of ten, Nanak's mother decided it was time for him to take part in the sacred thread ritual. He would be given a thread that he, as a member of his caste, would wear for life. As the thread was being put over Nanak's neck, he asked, Why must I wear this thread? Will it make me good and kind? If it will not, is it of no use to me? Give me instead the thread of mercy and contentment. Guru Nanak gathered around him a group of people who shared their lives, their food, their worship. He wrote beautiful songs for all to sing and concerned himself with the welfare of all. His was a simple faith. Teach me only this one large lesson of life. Tell me of the Creator and the wonder of his great world. He wrote that the ideal man, he has to rid himself of the bonds of caste and colour, give up eyeness, and become a sacred place full of purity, having put an end to the dirt and misery of egoism. The 20th century incarnation was Sainat, Sai Baba of Shirdi. He was regularly questioned about his birth and parentage, but he would not answer. So no one knew if he was a Hindu or a Muslim. At this time, the split between the two communities had widened, and he came to bridge that gulf. He said, Rama, the god of the Hindus, and Rahim, the god of the Mohammedans, are one and the same. There is not the slightest difference between them. Then why should their devotees quarrel amongst themselves? It is not good to dispute and argue. This one god will protect you. Yoga, sacrifice, penance, and knowledge are the means to attain God. If anyone does evil to you, do not retaliate. If you do anything, do some good to the other. He seldom took the initiative in discussions, generally responding to questions, chatting and laughing. Eventually, he was venerated by thousands of Indians across all beliefs and religions. He told them about the cycle of births and deaths and how this ongoing journey was broken by reaching the ultimate destination, self-realization, where a person can silence the mind, gain serenity, and reach the supreme abode of the all-pervading.
Srimataji Nirmala Devi, the founder of Sahaja Yoga, is our guru. Over nearly 40 years of travel, public programs, and Sahaj festivals, Srimataji recorded thousands of talks. Among these were many that were concerned with the great gurus, their teachings, and the importance of the knowledge they shared with their contemporaries, and of course with us. But among the things Srimataji added to their teachings was the power of love. How a good life must have love and compassion and regular meditation. Although she endorsed all that the gurus taught and lived, Srimataji was never confident about the teachings of the devotees who followed them or the religions that they set up in their names. Human beings have always had a remarkable ability, she said, to misinterpret, to twist and edit whatever the gurus said. This will not be so easy with Srimataji as virtually all she said publicly and among Sahaja Yogis was recorded and will always be there to reveal what she actually said and felt and wanted to share. Here she is in a talk she gave in 1992 showing how we, as realized souls, can become our own gurus. Yesterday, you had asked me for the status of a guru. It's a state. It is not a status because status is external, can be bestowed upon anyone. And anybody can say that this is your status. For something external merit or something, you can give a status to a person. It is a state. State means the innate, being, evolved to that level that you become the master. Of course, You have to be your own master to begin with, no doubt. If you are not even your own master, then how you can achieve that state? Now, as I say, it is innate. Then one starts thinking, if it is innate in a such way, how do we achieve? There are certain faculties which we have to develop to begin with. The first faculty is if we can become thoughtless. In meditation, you can become thoughtless for a short time. Gradually, this short time should go on increasing, that you are without any thought. Then you start seeing that, witnessing that. 
without thinking. Just see, witness. Just seeing itself creates that state within us. The first state is very important, that you become the witness, the Sakshi. As soon as you become the Sakshi, the whole thing, whatever you are seeing, gives you the complete idea, subtle as well as gross, of that thing. You see it and you know it. And as a Sahaja it becomes your knowledge. We can say in the modern terminology that you say, see something, it gets recorded, in your mind and it manifests joy, it manifests knowledge, it manifests compassion, whatever may the situation. Because now you have many dimensions which you have to develop. These dimensions are to be developed. Now supposing you go and meet someone with whom you have to deal. He's talking, talking, talking. Just become thoughtless. So now what is the thing that will happen as soon as you become thoughtless? First, his thoughts, his bombardment will not touch you because you are in different realm altogether. But in that realm, Your power will manifest. It may cool him down, it will shut him down, or maybe he may just feel tremendous love for you. So the word guru means gravity that the Mother Earth has gravity. In the same, a person who is a guru has to have the gravity. But how do you develop this gravity? Some people just artificially become very grave and sometimes show that they are very serious or something like that. Gravity is within yourself. In the second state, we should say, of Guru Pada is your gravity must manifest. As you become the witness, your gravity starts expressing itself. It will not show as temper or seriousness or anything like that, but it will manifest in a way that the whole thing will become extremely dignified and majestic. It will just manifest by itself. So the state in which you rise now becomes effective. 
Before this it was not. You had to all the time manipulate, say this, say that. But in your silence you can manifest your gravity. And this gravity is extremely it acts like a magnet. As you know, there's a magnet in the Mother Earth. That we call as the gravity by which people are attracted. We are resting on this Mother Earth because of her gravity. Everything is attracted to Mother Earth because of her gravity. So you get a magnetic temperament, magnetic character, magnetic personality. And this magnetic personality that you develop immediately shows that it is manifesting its power. Try to understand. Like the light, now it's coming on me. It's just giving light, but it is not manifesting anything. We can see the sun's rays is the best example. Sun's rays, when they fall onto the leaves, the rays, which look simple, manifest their power of making it into chlorophyll. In the same way, when you are at that height or at that state, then without saying anything, without doing anything, even a glance, you manifest. But not only that, but you record everything. So now, when you start witnessing something without thought, there's no obstruction for absorbing the knowledge about that because there's no thought. It's complete absorption takes place. And then it manifests. This is how the divine power works within us. So, with our gravity, what we do is to touch that depth within us which can carry the divine power and manifest. Unless and until we touch that depth within us, Sahaja Yoga is like Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. Nothing better than that. And that's why I find so many Sajogis sometimes really go off their rays suddenly because they have no gravity to go down into their own being and to feel the beauty and the glory of their own being and to use that gravity for manifesting divine power. So what is needed for a guru is self-esteem. 
This is a very important point people don't realize, the self-esteem. To achieve the self-esteem, we have to introspect. I know that today I am not what I was before. I am a realizer. I have got powers. Of course I have powers, powers of love, powers of compassion, powers of grasping things, powers of creativity, powers of giving realizations to others. This is Bach again. The words are, ye are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And if ye be that, God dwells in you. Well, that's the end of our program. Just a reminder that if you want more information about Saja Yoga or to know where local programs are so that you can join with others, uh, there are two sources free med- uh, on, the, on the net freemeditation.com.au and telephone number 1300-724252 that is freemeditation.com.au or 1300-724252 well <laughs> good meditations joy and peace until next time